And I've got two guests. I'm going to introduce uh, them. First, I want to um, tell you, back in October of 2018, my buddy James H. Bell, who is a criminal defense attorney here in Knoxville, I guess I've known Jim 40, 40 years, Chris. Really? Probably 40. Yeah, I, I, maybe longer. Anyway, he called me. He said, Bob, he said, um, have you been following uh, the staircase? And I went, huh? <laughs> and uh, so then I said, no, he explained it to me what was going on. And he said, uh, the criminal defense attorney, David Rudolph, was going to bring, uh, he, he was going across, uh, because there's so much interest in this case, that, that he was going across the United States, were in demand, and he was at the Bijou Theater, and he said, Do we need somebody to MC it, we're going to be there with uh, David, and we're going to um, answer people's questions about it and talk about the case. And it was so much interest. It was a packed house that night. And I even got my wife. I said, "You got to write to how we're going to format this and do it well, so it's really uh, turns out great." And uh, Jim Bell, first I want to introduce Jim. Jim, glad you're with us. Bob, that place was full. That's why I said it was packed. Dave, Dave, David. David was the best draw in Tennessee since Ringo Starr. <laughs> <laughs> so we have me and Jim there. And ladies and gentlemen, the, the guy that if you followed the staircase, it was a Netflix series by a German camera crew. And now it's a miniseries on HBO Max. And the, the, the criminal defense attorney, David Rudolph, is joining us. David, good to hear your voice again. Haven't talked to you since uh, it's been a few years. Glad to have you with us. Well, thanks for having me, and I don't even play the drums. <laughs> so, so you're not going to compete against Ringo, right? I am not competing against Ringo, George. <laughs> Any or <of> Paul. <laughs> well, we're glad both of you gentlemen are, are with us here today. And I want to, um, I'll try not to talk over you all very much. But first of all, I don't know, you know, I've been, we'll, we'll talk about the HBO thing a little bit later. But uh, when this thing first happened, and it, you've been with this 20 years now, David, 20 years you've been associated with this. I know it's hard to believe. I was a I was a young, naive lawyer when I started this 50, case. Fifty percent of a veteran. Uh, yeah, so uh, you know, it, it literally I started this case in uh, in two thousand one, uh, late two thousand one, uh, and uh, it didn't end until sometime in twenty seventeen, and then of course we had the. Netflix thing in 2018, and uh, now we have the HBO series. So it, it's uh, it's the gift that keeps giving. So when you toured across the United States, and it, actually you went to other countries to talk about this case, you started that uh, 2018, I guess. And how long did you do those? I well, I really did it right up until the the uh, pandemic. Uh, I, I was having uh, I was at I was in uh, England uh, in uh, I guess February of 2019, uh, and then I got back, and uh, then COVID hit, and that was sort of the end of uh, in person uh, speaking engagements for a while. Well, and people, I, I'm not. Uh, there's going to be spoilers in here if you haven't watched the Netflix. And I, and I actually, I would encourage you to watch. If you're going to watch anything, watch the Netflix documentary uh, first of all, because David just the the. Well, you're not the star of the show, David, but you're right there, right behind uh, Michael Peterson. 
But it started in 2001 when uh, Michael Peterson, uh, his wife Kathleen, uh, was found dead. And then uh, three weeks later or so, he was uh, indicted for her murder. And then it all started for you. When you were first hired by Michael Peterson, in the, I saw the HBO thing. It said you were in a diner when you had a meeting with him. Is that really yeah, that way it happened? No, no. That, and, and Jim will tell you that none of us would ever meet with a client for the first time in a diner. They had me eating no. a pastrami sandwich, which I don't even I don't like. I think I'd meet with one for the last time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, you know, and, and that was just the start of the uh, of the inaccuracies in the HBO series. But we can talk about that a little later. Uh, yeah. But I promise you. I didn't meet him in a diner, and I don't eat pastrami sandwiches. <laughs> so uh, when you when you did meet with him, and I know people ask you this, but I'm one of the new listeners right now. What was your initial take on the case and on Michael Peterson? Well, you know, and Jim will tell you this: when we get involved in a case, you always want to do some due diligence. You know, you you can't just assume that your client is going to be telling you the truth about everything, and so you listen, and then you and then you do your due diligence. And I checked out everything that he told me. Uh, everything he told me checked out, which is not necessarily typical. Uh, and it became pretty clear to me that. Uh, this was not a murder. This was this was an accident. Uh, and uh, that made it an unusual case, because normally in a murder case, the issue is who did it. Uh, and in this case, the issue was what happened. Uh, and, and that's that's how the case progressed uh, and, and really how it ended up. Hey, hey Jim, uh, when you first heard about this case, what did you think about it? Because you knew David before this case, right? I've known David uh, a very long time, and consider yeah, don't, don't say how many most... don't say any how yeah. don't say how many years, Jim. <laughs> a little shy of as long as I've known Robert Wallace Thomas. <laughs> anyway, uh, anyway, uh, David is a very accomplished, well-respected uh, uh, lawyer. Uh, I've I've worked with David uh, on stuff. Uh, particularly through the National Association of Criminal Defense Lawyers. He and I both sat on the uh, board of directors for years. Uh, and then we also are invited fellows in the prestigious American Board of Criminal Lawyers. I've been a member of that since 78, and I think David was right around that time. But uh, And then he and I have been trading stuff back and forth between North Carolina and Tennessee for for decades. So I know David very well, and uh, uh, what you're hearing coming out of Hollywood is not representative of what came out of the documentary. That's where the two worlds collide, and uh, Hollywood belongs on Mars, and the documentary belongs uh, right here uh, in uh, uh, people interest land. I think that's about the best way to put it. It was um, December 9th, 2001. Kathleen Peterson was found dead or barely alive at the foot of some stairs. And they thought it was an accident. And then all of a sudden the police started thinking that maybe it was murder. And it went on. And David Rudolph, 
who is online with us, along with James H. Bell. David Rudolph was the criminal defense attorney for Michael Peterson. And I a question for you, David. The thing, uh, you went to trial in July of 2003, but in a month or so before that, it was discovered or uh, revealed that a friend of Michael Peterson's, Elizabeth Ratliff's, died in similar circumstances in Germany, and he was the last one to see her. Did you know about that, or did that shock you when you heard it? No, that's another miss. Another miss uh, fact in the uh, in the HBO drama. They indicate that I first learned about that four weeks before trial and had an argument with Michael about it. Mm-hmm. In fact, I knew about it a year before uh, I went to Germany. We investigated it. It turned out that she had died of a of a brain aneurysm. Uh, the German police investigated it. The army uh, CID investigated it. Uh, no one thought it was anything other than a natural death until uh, 18 years later when uh, he got charged with the murder of Kathleen Peterson. And that, uh, did you feel like that was treated unfairly in the court case? I mean, was did the jurors know about that? Were they privy to that? Oh, yeah. No, they, absolutely. They were told about that. And uh, we had tried to keep it out. Uh, it was allowed in. I think that was a, a grave error. Uh, and in fact, the judge, uh, 11 years later, admitted uh, that it was an error. He said that he shouldn't have let it in and he wouldn't have let it in in the second trial. So uh, there's no doubt that that affected the verdict. And then I want to talk about this Deaver's uh, and I, I don't know if, if he's still uh, um, what a criminalist or whatever his uh, title no, was. He's, or... he, he's working for some, uh, I don't know, uh, uh, distribution center or something. It's where he, where he belongs, if, if not in prison. Because in your trial, he was working for the state, right? And he said he worked over 200 cases, and he really d- yeah. done a few. He, he lied about his background. He lied about his training. He lied about his experience, uh, and he lied about the facts and the and the opinion. Uh, and the judge eventually, uh, eight years after Michael's conviction, found that he had committed perjury at the trial and granted Michael a new trial based on that perjury. So, uh, Deaver was uh, was a bad actor from the beginning. Uh, right through the end, uh, and uh, yet never got prosecuted for the perjury that the judge found because he was a state witness. If uh, if Jim or I put on a witness like that, not only would the witness be in prison, but so would we. I can't well, imagine uh, that any cases he testified before did not get a second look. I, I think a number of them did. Uh, in fact, uh, they did an audit of all his cases, and found a number of cases in which he had falsified lab results or concealed lab results that were exculpatory. Uh, I don't know what happened in all those cases, uh, but uh, the Peterson case was not the only case in which he engaged in misconduct. Why is there such a fascination about this case? Is it because of about the 10 different things you can say about the case from um, the, the, ger- the woman that died in Germany to, to Michael's uh, bisexuality that was kind of brought out. was it, I mean, what is it that has made this case still be on people's minds for 20 years? I mean, I realize there's a, a documentary and now it's a miniseries that keeps it going. 
but is is there something so unusual about this case that just makes it uh, something people love to talk about or know about? You, you know, Bob, I think it's all of the above. Uh, it's the twists and turns. It's the uncertainty of, of what happened. It's the fact it lasted for, you know, so many years. Uh, he was convicted. Then he was, you know, uh, granted a new trial. Then the case was resolved with what's called the an Alford plea, uh, you know, the characters are, are just really interesting. Uh, and, uh, and, and it's just, it's an amazing story. And most of all, we gave the audience and the filmmakers an incredible view into how the criminal justice system works. Uh, you know, we gave them access to everything we did in preparing for trial. And that's, I don't know that it's ever been done before, and I don't think it's been done since. Uh, and and people suddenly had a real insight into what Jim and I and others like us do on a on a daily basis. And we're not shysters, and we're not uh, slick, uh, you know, people who are trying to you know uh, use little tricks to get people off. We're looking for the truth, just like everybody else is, and uh, and we perform a, a, a really critical role, and I think people who watched The Staircase uh, understood that, and, and uh, it really opened people's eyes to how the criminal justice system works. You know, and, and uh, Jim uh, Bell is also with us here. I know, Jim, you've had some cases like that have been on national television as well, um, and, and do you find that um, when people were close, watching you closer on TV, I think, it, I forgot what channel it was back then, like Justice court TV, TV, Court TV. Did yeah. you find that when that was on live on TV every day all across the nation, that is it was it make you feel good or you, you get makes you feel like, um, you know, people are going to micromanage everything you do? Well, in spite of my megalomania personality and uh, <laughs> uh, theatrical style uh, in uh, my life uh, I uh, with my clients I'm a different person I try to keep everything under the radar uh, remembering well what my mentors have told me that when you start pouring in Hollywood into your case uh, you're inviting a, a disaster and you have about as much chance of changing uh, what they're doing or control over the case than you would the direction of an asteroid and so I've um, I've tried to avoid that as much as possible and uh, leave the commentary inside the four walls of the uh, of the room that uh, won't grow a potted plant uh, the courtroom uh, so I, I've just had David had an opportunity, and I, he needs to be showcased and applauded and awarded uh, Lawyer of the Century <laughs> for allowing uh, the people that did the documentary come in and show what a model criminal defense lawyer does day in, day out, in order not only to prepare for trial, but the process of going through it and then the actual trial itself and the agony that happened during the recess. Um, and uh, he, I mean, you know, I can't say enough good things about David and his uh, uh, abilities as a good 
lawyer, a great lawyer. Uh, but when but when you start interjecting Hollywood in there, uh, my gosh, it's a wonder. Ninety uh, percent uh, of us is not pure fictionalized. Uh, so, and I got a question, David. When you um, um, originally the German uh, documentary crew had access to both sides, correct? It was actually a French documentary crew. Not oh, was to, it French? Not to I'm split sorry. The yeah. hairs. That, that's okay. Uh, uh, but, uh, yeah, they did have access to both sides. And then shortly after uh, the filming started, they cut off access uh, completely. Uh, and no one ever knew why. Uh, I suspected, frankly, that it was when Deaver got involved mm-hmm. uh, and they started doing these ridiculous experiments uh, and started uh, sort of uh, creating uh, fabricated evidence. Uh, but in any event, uh, they did stop cooperating, and, and we didn't. Uh, I and, think the wisest thing you did, on. didn't you hire the crew at that point so you had to, they were part of the, the defense team in a, in a certain sense? Yeah, we, we, we technically asked them to be uh, filming all of that uh, so that we could go back and review it for preparation. So to that extent, they were considered part of uh, the defense uh, group, if you will. That didn't mean we controlled anything they did. It just meant that whatever they filmed, we had the right to review and and, uh, refresh our memories about. So the prosecution Uh, couldn't get it by the subpoena or anything, right? That's exactly right. It was was designed to protect the attorney client. All right, we got to take yeah, a break, exactly. gentlemen. We got to take a break, and we'll come right back. We're talking with David Rudolph from The Staircase, the documentary on Netflix now on HBO Max. When we come back, we're going to talk about is the HBO Max miniseries correct? And we're going to talk to David about that. Also, James H. Bell, uh, local defense attorney, join us as well. Stay with us. Five thirty-one from News Talk ninety-eight point seven. October 2003, Michael Peterson was found guilty of first-degree murder, sentenced to life in prison without parole. Five years later, the owl theory that Al attacked his wife as she was going into the house came out. Uh, Joining us is David Rudolph, the criminal defense attorney uh, for Michael Peterson from The Staircase, and also James A.H. Bell, my buddy. And uh, David... How much? What did you? What's the, your take on the Al theory? You know, when it first came out, Bob, I thought it was uh, sort of silly. Uh, but as time has gone on and uh, evidence has mounted, and I've gone back and looked at the evidence in the case, it becomes more and more plausible to me. I, I can't say that's what happened, uh, but uh, you know, I think I think it's a very plausible theory that if I had to retry the case. I would have certainly uh, used that evidence at trial. Because she had things on the top of her head that looked like it could possibly be talons, uh, scratches, or from from an oh, yeah. owl. I mean, it was. Uh, I saw those. It was like, whoa, I, you know. And yeah. then, of course, the prosecution Absolutely. said it was like a, a poker or something from the fireplace. So, um, but, and have you talked to Michael Peterson? Uh, do you talk to him at all? Have you talked to him lately? I, I, I have talked with him several times as a result of this HBO series. Uh, you know, we've uh, gone back and forth about the damage it's done to his children, uh, who have been completely maligned 
uh, in the HBO series, uh, uh, and uh, and the inaccuracies about uh, him and about uh, the director and and the editor. So uh, I've I've spoken to him several times in in the last month or two. And what's the biggest glaring part that's inaccurate on your part? What that, that was you from the documentary to the HBO miniseries? Miniseries. Well, uh, you know, for one thing, they they sort of portrayed me uh, as this, uh, you know defense lawyer who really didn't care about his client and who was just after money. Uh, you know, the, they had him selling his furniture to finance his appeal. All That's of that right. was just that was garbage. I mean, you know, we charged him not a penny after the trial. His his appeal was done on a court-appointed basis for minimal, uh, you know, court-appointed fees. And for the next 13 years, I represented him pro bono. Uh, but, you know, they, they presented it uh, consistently with the stereotypes that, that we've been fighting for years and years. So that was uh, that was disturbing to me. Uh, but the worst thing they did was to the uh, to the director of that documentary, because they imply. Well, they didn't imply they came out and, and alleged that he had uh, tailored the uh, documentary to help Michael Peterson's appeal. Uh, and that was just flat out false. It was defamatory. It attacked his ethics. Uh, and, you know, this is an Academy Award winning documentarian. So uh, what they did to him was was beyond uh, moral. Did you all ask them to put some kind of uh, disclaimer before this HBO miniseries to say it's only, you know, uh, inspired by true events or something? Well, uh, once we saw what they were doing, we did. We wrote them a letter and asked them to put that up front before the uh, before each episode. Uh, you know what they did in this sort of really tiny typeface at the end of the of the credits. You know where it's showing. Uh, you know uh, the name of the production company. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a little thing that says uh, this is a dramatization based on certain facts. Uh, you know, uh, but nobody ever sees that because nobody watches, you know, a TV series to the end of the credits. Mm-hmm. And even if they did, you'd miss it unless you were uh, looking at it with a microscope. So what is Michael Peterson doing now? Well, Michael is still living in Durham. Uh, he's almost 80 years old now, uh, hard to believe. Uh, and, uh, He's enjoys enjoying his his life to the extent he can. Uh, he's not uh, terribly uh, well off. He's existing on his military pension and uh, social security. He spends time with his uh, with his grandchildren and his uh, and his kids, uh, and uh, and he's just trying to live out his life as best he can. So uh, I was uh, actually thought he might move away from that area. Are you surprised he stayed where all this took place? <laughs> I am shocked that he stayed there, to be honest. Uh, uh, It's the last place in the world I would have stayed. But, you know, everybody has a different uh, way of dealing with things. And I guess maybe he was just comfortable there. He had friends there. Uh, He knew the area. Uh, He had gone to Duke uh, undergraduate. Uh, So uh, I guess it was in some ways sort of his roots uh, uh, and, and where he felt comfortable. 
Because I would think it's like in the HBO thing that said they went, they tried to get reservations at a dinner, and they said, "Well, we don't serve murderers or something." Well, that that you yeah, know, no, that actually happened. That was true. Oh. Uh, uh, he had a favorite restaurant in in Durham, uh, where he was, you know, he was sort of a, a regular. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, then when when his conviction was overturned, and uh, and he tried to go to that restaurant. They would not serve him. I don't think it, they actually tried to make a reservation. I think he actually showed up there, and they turned him away, which just shows you how powerful uh, the media can be in portraying somebody as guilty because uh, before that, uh, he was he was a welcome guest there. And, uh, and as soon as uh, uh, the trial ended and, uh, and he was found guilty, everything changed. Well, do you do you think that um, the people in that area now are just kind of used to him being there? I guess I don't know. Do you spend a lot of time in Durham? You're in Charlotte, I, I aren't don't. you? I'm in Charlotte uh, for the most part. Uh, no, I don't spend any time up in Durham. And I think probably at this point, uh, given the documentary and the HBO show, I think people are sort of. Uh, uh, they've made up their minds. It's sort of like uh, politics in the U S now there's, there's probably people on both sides of the, uh, of the issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think they'll ever agree. Uh, uh, but, uh, I don't think it's a, it's a big topic of discussion anymore, to be honest. And the Alfred play just, you know, 25 words or less. Um, and uh, Jim, have you ever had to, uh, cl- a client, uh, enter an Alfred plea? Yes, but here you must have the district attorney general to approve that if you reach a plea agreement. Uh, and in 25 words or less, basically, it says, I plead guilty not because I am guilty, but because the prosecution can prove me guilty beyond a reasonable doubt or there's sufficient evidence to acknowledge my guilt. And so it's a way of... Uh, uh, of of an uh, judicial admission, uh, did I say that correctly, David? In East Tennessee. Well, trial? yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I think I think it's it's treated as a guilty plea. But Michael was adamant that he would never say he killed Kathleen, uh, and he he refused to say that he killed Kathleen uh, when he entered the plea. But he still entered the plea based on the fact, really, that he just didn't want to go through this anymore. He was uh, seventy two years old at the time. Uh, and he wasn't going to roll the dice again. All right, was it? It was in his best interest, Bob. Yeah. Well, nah, yeah. I, I, and that's got to be frustrating to say. Well, do we keep this thing going on forever, or we just say something, some words to make it come to an end? We've got to take a break. Come back, and we'll close this out. We're speaking with David Rudolph, the criminal defense attorney for Michael Peterson, uh, the infamous the staircase. All right, we're back in the final segment with our special guest, David Rudolph, who is the criminal defense attorney from The Staircase, the Netflix series, and now an HBO miniseries that's uh, a little, mm, you know, a little questionable. And uh, my friend James H. H. Bell, who is a local criminal defense attorney as well. And hey, Bob, can, yes, I, can I jump in here? Sure, man, go ahead. Comment. Yeah. David is, is doing great more going around the country and out of the country uh, explaining this case, and it's wonderful. But I want to tell you all what I saw on Facebook the other day when you posted about David being on the radio. There was a young lady in our audience 
that saw David's presentation here in Knoxville. She graduated from college, went to law school, and has now accepted a position with the district attorney's office, district attorney general's office, and is making sure that these kinds of miscarriages of justice don't happen anymore. That is a laudable uh, uh, accomplishment that David has managed to, I mean, it's just no telling the things that he's done that uh, he doesn't even realize how far he's reached good people. Well, that makes me think, you know, from the moment uh, Kathleen died until the Alfred plea was uh, put in there and he was released, that was 15 years. David, out of those 15 years, when you heard the judge say that Dwayne Deaver did commit perjury, did that make you mad or were you elated or what was your gut feeling at that moment? You know, uh, when you say it even now, I get a chill uh, because it was uh, it was just like a huge rock, a huge weight had been lifted off my shoulders. Mm -hmm. Uh, I knew that he had committed perjury, but I didn't know if the judge would actually find that and give Michael a new trial. So uh, that was, you know, the conviction was probably the lowest point of my professional career. And the uh, granting of the new trial was probably the greatest high point of my legal career, Uh, you know, all within the space of eight years and all in the same case. Let me just say, I really appreciate you telling me that, Jim, about that woman. And uh, I have gotten numerous uh, emails and messages from people who have either seen the staircase or listened uh, to some of the presentations who have decided to go to law school. Uh, Some became public defenders. Some have become prosecutors. But that is one of the great joys of my life is that I was actually able to uh, to inspire some people to go into what we do as a living. And uh, and that's that's just so rewarding. I can't even uh, I can't even express it. Yeah, that's that's the underpinning. And but the story within the story within the story. Yeah, and then that is great because you want people that will seek justice for all fairly. Uh, Absolutely. You know, and so listen, we've only got a minute or two here left, though, but. Uh, uh, you mean we don't have to listen to another commercial? <laughs> no, not right now. <laughs> David, tell everybody uh, anything else you want to add in this last uh, minute or so that uh, maybe we missed. Anything that. Well, what, what, what I really want to what I really want to do is encourage people to read a book that I've I've written and has been published by HarperCollins. Okay. It's called American Injustice, uh, and it's available on Amazon and all kinds of uh, other online bookstores. Again, it's American Injustice, and we have a podcast that my wife Sonia Pfeiffer and I called Abuse of Power, and that's on Audible. Uh, and, uh, again, uh, anybody who's interested in these issues, read the book, listen to the podcast, and, uh, and join us in fighting for justice. Okay. American Injustice, the book, and Abuse of Power, the podcast, right? That's it. All right. David, thanks so much for being with us. Uh, we appreciate your time and, and what you've done and the people you've inspired from uh, being a part of this case. And um, next time you come to Knoxville, uh, you and uh, Mr. Bell here and I, we should all get together, and my wife as well, who helped write a lot of the layout, what we were going to do that night, the biz you get together for dinner Absolutely. one night. Absolutely. 
right. We should absolutely do that. And, Jim, thanks for joining us. Oh, David, thank you. Uh, it, this was a great pleasure. Uh, thank you for including me.